have this moment with you. And I know this moment is shared with people who are struggling with this first Advent theme of hope. We know hope is part of the narrative of Jesus. We know Paul couldn't get past saying, now may the God of all hope, as though you've got a corner on hope. We have other things that lift our spirits. Other moments that strengthen our hearts, but nothing like you, the God of all hope. So that's why we imagined you walking into this room right now, because we want, we want what is bigger and better than human supply. It's never-ending supply. The God of all hope, may he cause your hearts to be filled with joy and peace in believing. That's hard for some this morning, Lord. It's hard for some that can't even be here. They thought they'd just fall apart if they showed up. But I pray for your joy and peace, that it would come because they believe in you. And that they, along with us, would abound in hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of the God of hope, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, go ahead and have a seat if you would. And kids, have a great time heading to class. A whole bunch of your friends are heading back to Kidland and uh, great times ahead. I am... Um, I want to say something to you who are uh, live streaming right now, and the same applies to you in the house. Would, would somebody in the house look in front of the chair, at the chair back in front of you and pull out a blue card, and when you get it out, just wave it in the air. Now, wave it like you're, it's too hot in here. It's not, but, but you're not by the candles. There's a lot of candles. Okay, here's the deal. Okay, you called me on it. They're all uh, electric candles, so relax. Uh, I have you get that out for this reason. I'm convinced that Christmas, for all its joy, for all its splendor, it's amazing. We love it. I was on a ladder. I was Griswold yesterday on a ladder and putting up Christmas lights. And um, neighbors were walking by and then, you know, driving by at night. And I'm like, yeah, baby, we did it. This is looking good. And I'm alive, you know. So, uh, but you know what? I am. Um, I know, I know from firsthand experience that Christmas is hard on some people. I, we don't have to go into the reasons why. It's not even part of my message. But you just need to know we care about hard. We care about how it might hurt to look at all this joyful stuff. And um, I'm not making fun of any of it. It truly is joyful. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. The Christmas music, Miracle on 34th Street, even though I fell asleep last night, it was so late. But um, all of those things are cool, but your hurt is real. And if you're hurting, I want you to write down how we can pray for you on that. It's called a connection card. I didn't have you get that out and forget about it. Write that down. You want it for a private prayer? Indicate it on there. If you want it for... All the people at Grace Point that pray, and there's a bunch of us, can put that down. Would you? 
And we promise we will pray earnestly for you um, that you would see the joy and, in this case, begin to experience the hope. Amen? All right? And save it for later. You can put it, uh, hand it to a greeter in the rear uh, of the building, the lobby, or you can just bring it, set it, set it on your chair down here in front or put it on the piano lid, and we will gather those, okay? So enough about that. So here we are, folks, in step with the Spirit. That's been up for 54 weeks. And uh, I don't know, I'm not going to compare this to raising kids and they go off to college and leave, which is exactly what we had planned all along. But it feels a little bit that way. You come to the end of a message, series of messages, 54 of them, inch by inch, verse by verse, we've walked together through some really cool stuff. And if you're brand new today, you uh, just need to trust me that we've actually changed. Our Bibles all have an editorial comment that this is Acts of the Apostles, and, in, and indeed it is. But because of the constant presence of the Holy Spirit throughout the narrative of Acts, we've very reverently added this label as well, Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we've come to be comfortable with you know, God's, I'm not sure how God's going to find a way, but the Holy Spirit will lead me forward today. We live like that. More and more of us are saying, I, I don't have to get it. It's like, it's like, do I understand what flowers do to Debbie? No. But get flowers. She likes flowers. That's enough. That's, and the same with the Holy Spirit. It's like, you may not fully understand him, but he's at work and he's, not just out there. This is not Star Wars, and he is not a force. He is a person, the Holy Spirit. And here's the grabber. He lives inside of all the people who have bowed their knee and said, Jesus, I need you. I can't, I can't pull this off without you. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm there, and I have. you've opened the door, and I come to live inside of you. Okay? So we come to the end of this series, and the end I have in my notes and in my mind it's the end with an asterisk. So an asterisk is a device that says, um, essentially, not really. That's why my title is, The End, Not Really. Um, but it is how it feels to me as the one that has been the presenter of these things uh, during this journey a little over a year. Uh, after a high drama voyage that we've just left, uh, where <clears throat> it took Paul from Caesarea on the far east end of the Mediterranean. It's the border of Israel. Today, you could stand there. All the way to Rome. It's a long journey. And uh, the conclusion of the Acts of the Apostles strikes me, and it's a feeling I had when, way before this weekend preparing my final thoughts, is, is that it's... It's the conclusion of Acts, but it, it's anything but conclusive. I hope that's not a, spo a spoiler thing for you. But if your Bible's not open to Acts, uh, why don't you open it up and stop in chapter 21 on your way to the end. No, we're not going to cover eight chapters here. Um, but truth be told, um, if you do come to chapter 28, 
I would suspect if I get if I'm successful in my work here today that you'll come feeling a little bit you'll gather up your stuff and leave feeling a little bit like you went to see a high octane movie like crazy cool high level drama and then the ending went how many have seen Titanic you get my point right Okay, it's a, it's a great movie, it's wild, it's, it's like, ah, who wants to drown, you know, and all that. And, and there's this love story that's playing somehow, and then, and then the, the guy, the last shot is he's disappearing underwater and dies. And the lady with the, what was it, the heart, the sea, huh? The heart of the sea, it's, it's expensive jewelry. It's, they don't even carry it at Costco. It's that expensive, right? And she takes it, throws it into the water. All right, everybody, gather your stuff. We're leaving now. It's over. <laughs> well, you, you get my point. Okay. So um, Paul, I've referred to it already, but this, my first impression after retracing Paul's determined focus to go to Rome, he's in Israel, and he's got to go 2,000 miles. That's almost the East Coast from here. Sailing that distance to get to Rome with the gospel. And this sense of um, determination, I guess I would call it, really surfaced in chapter 21. Um, there is, after arriving at the temple, as predicted... A group of Jews rouse a mob to oppose him. You probably remember back, which is why I had you stop in chapter 21. You remember back uh, to the warnings Paul was given. Don't go to Jerusalem. It's not a smart plan, Paul. They're quoting God. They're, they're quoting all, this, all these reasons why. Look at verse 31 in chapter 21, you'll see what I'm talking about. So the whole city's, um, verse 31, while they were trying to kill Paul, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some of, some of his officers and soldiers, ran down to the crowd, and when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. That means he's getting the stuffing beat out of him, and all of a sudden, guys with uniforms and badges and swords show up and they stepped off the commander came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains then he asked who he was and what he had done the assumption's a good one you had to do something what did you you, you, you commit a crime and tried to get away some in the crowd shouting one thing and some another, and since the commander couldn't get the truth about what the uproar was about, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. Look at this. When Paul reached the steps, the crowd blew up, and the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be, picture my hands now, he had to be carried by the, sh the soldiers overhead keep him away from a crowd that wanted to pull him apart in pieces. And that very crowd was shouting all the while, kill him! So, um, 
I bring that up for this simple reason. Chapter 21, I didn't quite do the percentages, but it's about, yeah, it's about 75% of the way to the end of Acts. And from that word that I just read, soldiers taking him into the barracks, 100% of the rest of Acts, he was under their custody. That puts a little different. This wasn't just a skirmish, and he was given, uh, you know, bail and got out a couple of days later. In fact, Acts ends. You can close the book now and you would conclude, wow, he's under custody the rest of the way for following Jesus. How many want to follow Jesus? I mean, I like the miracles that come and go where he's busted out of jail and Peter before him. I like those. I wish they were part of every story. But for bigger reasons that I think we'll understand as we get to chapter 28, God had plans for him. Um, so in Jerusalem, he's under this protective custody. And, um, and then one night, and I want you to go to chapter 23 now. Chapter 23 He's, um, he's been taken into custody. And he's brought out to face a crowd of people. What's this about? Everybody's calm again. What's this about? What have you done that deserves... You were getting beat up. I mean, there's a lot of blood in all that. It's not good. What's going on here? Chapter 23 captures that for us. And um, notice... There's a, there's, a, there's a conflict among those that are accusing Paul. There was a great uproar, verse 9 says, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man. So they sound like they're supporting him, and they were at that moment. What if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces. This is Pharisees and Sadducees. Very different view of the law and a lot of other stuff. We've covered that earlier. So this commander, we're talking a Roman commander, orders the troops to go down, take him away from them, and bring him into the barracks. And I, I bring this up to have you notice how my Bible turns to red ink in verse 11. The following night, Paul is still under custody. The Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. You say, why do you say that aloud? Because there's an exclamation point telling me to. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, look at how it ends. You must also testify 2,000 miles from here. So after appealing Paul, appealing his case, because the next several pages cover all of that, chapter 25, verse 10, Paul says, I now stand before, Caesar, before Caesar's court where I'm, I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong to you, as you yourself know very 
well. And then he drops down by saying, if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, then no one, no one has the right to hand me over to the Jews who want to kill me. And look how he ends it, four words. I appeal to Caesar. It's actually spoken by Paul, a strong You can't take care of me. You can't do away with me. I appeal to Caesar. And where does Caesar live? Rome. Jerome, he goes. Uh, The details of how he got there made for a fascinating study in chapter 27, of course. And they included uh, a life-threatening hurricane. I guess by definition, a hurricane is a life-threatening event, right? And I don't know if it was a Category 1 or a 5, but I don't want to be anywhere near a hurricane. Anybody here been in a hurricane? Curious. Serious? Well, you're here, so you made it. That's good. Anybody been in a tornado? Probably more of those. Or near them? Anybody just seen a funnel cloud? Yeah. Scared enough to go in the opposite direction, right? I remember seeing one when I was a kid. I was 10, and we were outside of Chicago. And I just cried my eyes out because I was afraid of the way it was going to hurt my brother who was in another car, and we had lost track of that. We didn't know where they were. So serious stuff. Only this is a hurricane. There's a life-threatening one. If you want to read details, read Chapter 27. It's really a good read. Okay, but there's this hurricane that results in a shipwreck and then a harrowing swim for shore. We sometimes read those words and we don't let our mental image come into focus. But a hurricane is how it started. Led to a shipwreck. They run into the sandbar and the, the seas didn't suddenly go there. Now we're calm again. It beat this ship apart, and it was man overboard. Everybody fled. They went overboard, 270-something of them. And this, I love swimming at the beach in Southern Cal, not up here, uh, but it's warmer. Um, but you know what? I've never even tried it in a tropical storm, much less Hurricane Ed. There's this harrowing swim to the shore, and and then they get on the shore, and they're just shaking like a leaf because they're freezing cold, and they're they're terrified out of their mind. And and so they gather around this fire in this island called Malta, and and there's, there's a nice fire to warm yourself and maybe get dry a little bit. When Paul gathers some sticks and uh, stuff to, to stoke the fire, he about drops it into the fire and suddenly discovers there's a venomous viper hanging from his hand in front of everybody. I mean, this stuff, you can't make it up. They're in Malta, by the way. If you look at a map in the back of your Bible, let me do the work for you. It's 600 miles short of Rome. And we've covered all this before. It's about a three-month delay for them. I say delay, and I have that in italics in my mind. 
Because what's a delay to me uh, is not always a delay to God, though. In fact, I would say never. You with me? Which means I got I to gotta change my mind about delays, but that's another time. Um, so that brings us to chapter 28 for the final leg of Paul's trip to Rome. Look at verse 11. Let's pick up there. Chapter 28, shipwrecks all behind us. They wintered on Malta. And after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had winterized in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. Regium is the, you know Italy? You, you know the boot? It's this. It's the tip of the boot. That's Regium, okay? So um, the next day, the south wind, that means coming up from the south, begins to blow. And on the following day, we reached Petioli, which is the ankle of the foot, okay? Requiem, and that now the ankle. We're moving up toward Rome. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. So we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled south from Rome. It's still north. They traveled south to the Forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us, about 30 miles south of Rome. So they hear he's coming, Paul and his party, and they go, let's go meet him. And so they, they make their trek south to meet Paul. And at the sight of those people, Notice how verse 15 finishes. Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself, but notice, with a soldier to guard him. Um, let me say something to you who are encouragers. Uh, this doesn't just apply to missionaries who are coming home. But it applies to anybody that's coming home. They need, to, they need to see people enthusiastically welcoming them. That's how I read the words that we just covered that, that said Paul was actually, thank God, so he's, he's giving God the glory. Thank you for these people. This has been a heck of a long trip, a hard trip. And at the sight of them, they th of these people, Paul thanked God, and look what it did to him, encouraged him. Are you an encourager? That would be a question I would have. Some of us are. Some of us are not. It's, it's uh, easy to overlook needs. Maybe you're one of those people that go, I would encourage if I could. I can tell you right now in this room, a lot of people, who need encouragement. Some of you at home, you need it. We all have a chance, an opportunity to reach out and say, hey, I don't know what you're going through. It's got to be hard. You've been in this for a long time. And I, I don't, I wish I could, how many of, am I the only one that wish I had a magic Jesus wand? I do, I do. 
And I would use it all the time. You want to take away from all of that? I wish I had, uh, I wish God had chosen me as a vessel to heal people in my life. I would just have, I don't know, they say when you're using your gift, you're happiest. It's like a lab with a tennis ball in his mouth. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I finished preaching on Sunday. It's the happiest moment of my week. I get to do what's just in me to do. It's my gift. Some of you were encouragers. Look for, maybe you've got a verbal wand. Maybe that's the wand God wants you to use. To say, I know, I know. This can't be anything but a terrible moment in your life. But I'm here to just tell you that you're not in this moment alone. And I don't know, a friend of mine said years ago, I'm, they said to me, I'm Jesus with skin on. Maybe that's your revelation. I don't know. But they, they were trying to say to me, Jesus is on this. The Holy Spirit sent me to be present in it. You're going to hear some of this from the butcher family next door. Their miracle story is a miracle that God chose to author through lots of lives. And I think that's what these people represent here. By the way, um, if you want a list of the people, and I think it's probably Rome. Paul had never visited Rome, but his work, his writing, the book of Romans in the New Testament had already arrived. Most people think 10 years earlier. So here's the deal. They already knew the guy coming, right? Which explains Paul's words in chapter 16, verses 3 to like 15. It's Greek after Greek after Greek after Greek. It's all these people that are in, that are in Rome. Paul is not writing Romans from Rome. He wrote it before then. And he says, oh, say hi to Bill and say hi to John. Make sure and wave at Debbie and, and, and uh, Jenny and all this. I mean, cool, cool stuff. Give Glenn a hug for me. You know, that kind of thing. Paul is doing that, and that's what Romans represents. So some of those people traveled south 30 miles to the three taverns area. And um, I want you to... To just just take my mind out, take me out of this for a minute. And if you were Paul and his party, and you look up and you see these people, and they're not mad at you, they're so joyful to see you. And and you know that, that you're close, you're 30 miles, you're within spitting distance of Rome, and you you are overjoyed. You're thankful. And and it has this encouraging effect because here's the deal. You remember words that were told to you long before. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and yes, to Rome. He, Jesus said, to the utmost parts of the world. At that time, that was like the edge of the earth. Here you are living through that. It's your moment. That's exactly what happened and wasting no time. 
verse 17 picks up. Three days later, they've arrived in Rome. There's a guard outside the door. They're catching their breath. And then he called together the local Jewish leaders. I'm reading from verse 17. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers and sisters, although I've done nothing against our people, the Jews, or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem, he's pointing east, and handed over to the Romans there. They examined me, and they wanted to release me. Remember um, Festus and Felix? They had that chat and said, you know, if he had not appealed to Rome, we could have cut him, cut him loose. He'd have probably been dead because they would have ambushed him. But they examined me, verse 18 says, and they, they wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar, which is what I'm here to do. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and to talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. They replied, we've not received any letters from Judea, that's Jerusalem and the surrounding area, concerning you. And none of our people who've come here from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we do want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. So Paul, in his response, summarizes his recent, what we did already, a couple of years, two and a half years. And um, the surprise to me in reading this, I will tell you, is there's no animus in these people towards Paul. They're not, they're not, they're going, hey, we, we don't, we've got no problem with, no issue with you. Uh, let me skip down to Paul's long-anticipated promise to preach in Rome had now finally arrived in verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and a bunch of people showed up. They came to even a larger number of people in that place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said. Others just shook their head and would not believe. They, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but you will never understand. You will be ever seeing, but you will not perceive. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have their eyes closed. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understanding and understand with their heart and turn, 
and I would heal them. Uh, I want you to see something here that is probably a mystery to you, but it bears mentioning. Back in verse, what is that, 20, 23, it says of Paul that his sermon was based on his preaching, explaining the kingdom of God from morning to night. That's a lot of, lot of hours. That's a little longer than I planned to go today. But from morning to night, he's appealing to mostly a Jewish audience. There were others. And he's appealing through Moses and the prophets. Many years ago, I was called uh, to officiate at a memorial service. It was for a Jewish young man. And, um, and this family I had befriended uh, was very um, cautious in approaching me. I re still remember when they came into my office, it was just like, they were, I don't know, they were probably looking for, you know, purification water to, you know, or take off their shoes. I mean, it was a very religious family. They came into my office, and I asked them, how you, how you doing? And they said, well, it's a little awkward. We've not, I've never been in a building like this. And I said, you mean a church? And, yeah, yeah, a church. And we talked a little bit more, and they said, we would like you to officiate at our son's all Jewish. And I said, wow, I'm, I'm touched by that. I, uh, I know your grief is great, and I am just, uh, I'm humbled by it. And then they said, but we would ask you kindly to not mention Jesus in that service. I did not answer them in that moment. I said, I will find a way. And then I went, dismissed them, and we got a little more details about the service. I remember go, closing my door in my office, and I just, I just sank in my chair and said, Lord, how in the world can I possibly speak of the hope that I know without talking about the source of that hope, Jesus Christ, that I know? How could I do that? What did I just say yes to? And the Lord brought me to verse 23. Use the law of Moses and the prophets. And I thought, that's a lot of help. What do I do? Quickly. Moses was told to go to Pharaoh. Remember that story? Exodus chapter 3, the whole deal? told to go to, to Pharaoh, and he was kind of freaking out and running from the assignment. He says, I, I don't know, talk, I can't talk. He had a speech impediment. He had all his reasons, right? But remember the one reason? Well, okay, let's say I screw up the courage and go there and go, let my people go. What if Pharaoh says, who sent you? <laughs> remember the answer? I am, I think it's verse 14 or something in Exodus 3. Tell him, I am sent you. Okay, ready for this? If you were to go to John chapter 8, 
you just took the time to go clear over to John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus is talking about true followers of his. And they say something like, I'm going to read it, it's just so cool. But they say, who are you? Jesus says, very, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So I am showed up in that memorial that day. But that's not everything. I'm getting to preach on now. Isaiah comes up all the time. You go to chapter 7, verse 14, and guess what you find? A virgin will be with a child. Isaiah is a prophet 700 years before Jesus showed up in Bethlehem. And he says a virgin will be with a child. Who's he talking about? And then you keep going and you find your way to Isaiah 53, and there is no Isaiah or Old Testament passage that's more compellingly all about Jesus Christ. Who has believed our message? Um, by his wounds you have been healed. It's all about the cross. It, it goes on and on. Listen to this. By Jesus himself, he was in the temple that one day, early in his ministry, and in chapter, he's handed the scroll, right? Because he's speaking to Jewish people. In chapter 61 of Isaiah, he says, the spirit, Jesus says this word 700 years later, but they were written in Isaiah 61, the prophet. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus quoted that. Now I felt like I had something to say when I was at that graveside and in that memorial service. You can do what Paul does here, beginning with the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them it is Jesus we're talking about. We can go on to Zechariah 9, verse 9. It's all about Easter. And how does Jesus come into Jerusalem? Riding on the foal, foal of a donkey. That came out of the prophets. Okay, enough said. Um, calling it straight up like Paul does. I want in the worst way to rewrite verse 24. But it's there. The results... Don't get discouraged, as usual. They were mixed. Some people said, yeah, sign me up. I'll take two scoops of salvation. Man, you've persuaded me. I want Jesus. But others, it says, could not, would not believe. Um, so... Of course, not surprisingly, those words, they're kind of bracketed in my version that I'm reading from, verses 26 and 7. That's a quote directly out of Isaiah, chapter 60. It's a word for word, Isaiah. Um, 
Jews had to hear this. And it probably, uh, you can imagine the response if you were one of them that day. Verse 28. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. Praise God. Because they will listen. I came for Jews. They closed their eyes. Their ears were shut. They shunned salvation. That's why I went to the Gentiles. But hold up, hold up. Anticipating, Paul anticipating that some of us would go, kind of swag on him. That's right. I'm a Gentile. I got Jesus. Yes, I do. I got Jesus. How about you? Right? You know, you know that spirit in you? You may not do it quite as cool as I just did, but you get the idea? It's easy to feel that way. Well, I'm in. I got it. Read today. I give you an assignment almost every week. Please read Romans chapter 11. And you will find a very detailed description of the fact that the day is coming when Jews' eyes will go and ears will go, oh, I see, I hear, I surrender, Jesus. So don't get puffy, Paul says. Read Romans chapter 11. Please do that. And it's verses 17 uh, to 24. Check it out. But we got to move on. Um, Paul leaves this narrative in verse 30. Actually, Luke's words to kind of, this is a, call it a postscript. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented flat and welcomed all who came to see him. Notice he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Um, so a question emerges. From what I'm going to just call, I, I instinctively want to turn the page and go, oh, where's the rest? Um, it appears to be an abrupt ending that I think actually um, is explained at the beginning. Way back at the beginning of this series. Words you'll remember if you were here, and if you weren't here, they're easy to remember. They're the last recorded words by Jesus before he ascended to the Father. And he was talking to his disciples and those gathered there. And then he said to them in that place, Acts 1.8, You will be uh, my witnesses when you receive power. You will be my witnesses when you receive the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses. The purpose of power, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is stated in those words in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. Those words were spoken in Bethany, just outside the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives, around the corner in Bethany. They were spoken there. You will be, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and around Judea 
and on into Samaria and all the way to Rome. Or Beaverton. Or Tigard. question is, since the Holy Spirit chooses to live inside all who repent, the story of Acts, when we repent of what? Our sin. The thing that keeps him out. When we repent of our sins and turn to God, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, prompting an important question. Have you turned to him? repented of your sin? Has he saved you? You can do so right now. If so, then the Holy Spirit lives in you now, and you have received his power, like Acts 1.8 says. And the Holy Spirit's purpose for you now is to witness to people wherever you lead. So are you doing that? Don't leave here and go, that was an okay sermon or that was the best I've ever heard or someplace in between. Change it up if you're not leaving here with a, with a message and a mission. Say, God, I want to change that up because I, there's no other way to read this abrupt ending but to say, in fact, now you know why Acts ends so abruptly. In fact, it doesn't end at all. Would you close your Bibles? And before you bow your heads, I want you to hear me say this. I have a friend who loves Jesus. And uh, he's a fairly new friend. And he's reached out to me quite a bit. And I respond quite a bit. It's pretty exciting. And um, <clears throat> he uh, is a Jesus lover. Uh, freshly changed and transformed. And he cares about his family and friends. His people who have not yet met Jesus. They know him. And to know him is to go... What's going on? And they're impressed by what they see and hear. And so he asked me, would you pray for my people? And by name, he mentioned 16 people. Um, pray for all 16, he asked. And you know what? That young man is an Acts 29 young man. Folks, hear me now. We are all Acts 29 people. Now you can bow your heads. And God, um, to be an Acts 29 person is to leave here and say, okay, I'll do my part. I will open my mouth. I will share in situations I don't know what I'm saying or how to say it. I will do that. 
But God, you call all of us to keep sharing until you come. And that's why the song that we sing right now is so true and so powerful. It talks about your presence and your promise to be with us. As we go to school tomorrow, Thanksgiving holiday's over, we get back to work tomorrow. I want to be a witness to you. I want to do it unhindered. I'll do my part. Holy Spirit, just lead the way. And I know you will be with me because you're you're a great God and your, your faithfulness knows no limits. So we sing to you today, affirming your faithfulness, and we promise to be faithful to you. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus or you're watching still and you, you haven't turned the corner, you've not bowed your knee, you need Jesus Christ. If you need help with that in any way, reach out to me, Steve at GracePointFamily.com. I would love to talk with you. Let's stand together and sing together. Great is thy faithfulness.